Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. I'm very pleased that you can join me on Christmas week. Very pleased that our guest today has taken the time as well. Tim Trelaw, adventurer, coach, ultramarathon runner, uh, much more besides, a TV uh, contributor as well with, with Bear Grylls, I know that. Tim, great to see you. How, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Yeah. All set for Christmas? You said your wife works in retail, so she, does she take charge of the shopping or do you have to... She sorts that? pretty much everything out that's admin and domestic, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm very much cleaning the garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've got, at least you're, you're in the garage, but we met through a mutual friend. It's, it's great to see you, you teach at Hartbury College, but friend um, Sam... Sam's surname, Hashimzai. Hashminzi, yeah. Hashminzi, yeah. 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 Hashminzi. My wife threw me off a couple of times, but it's a, a mutual friend and he said we should talk on the podcast because had John Hudson, the UK chief military survival instructor on kind of linking everyday life with, with surviving in the wilderness. But you're, you're very much uh, of that world as well. And Sam said that when you used to go for weekends away, sometimes you'd, you'd go and sleep in the, in the park or something rather than the hotel. It's, what's, the, what's the wilderness had for you? Has it been a, a calling from a young age? Well, I think sleeping in the park was less about actually <laughs> practicing my survival skills, more about trying to get somewhere to get my head down for the night. Yeah, last minute, <laughs> after a, a night, night away. Um, but yeah, yes, I mean, we first did a wellbeing talk for the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival um, about resilience and the observations we had from resilience as well. Yeah. So the company was brought in to specifically talk about things that we've learned as, as extreme adventurers um, through observations in adventure and to kind of look at some of the, the key aspects of like human behaviour yeah. when you are at extremes uh, and, and how there's some telling themes that always run through either people um, or, or, or yourself. You learn about yourself on these big um, adventures as well. Yeah. Um, and every day isn't, is certainly not an adventure. So everyday life, uh, as everyone will know, is quite routine, monotonous. Yeah. But it's putting yourself in those situations where you're trying to um, go on adventures. It's really trying to make progress sometimes, I think, in everyday life, isn't it? That you, you say you almost go into autopilot when you perhaps need that clarity of thought. And I know John said to me that almost that presence of mind that you have in a, or would have in a survival situation, you, you need that presence of mind in everyday life and not be on autopilot if you want to make incremental developments at work and be productive. Certainly, and it's like kind of, when you're walking down the street, you can be pretty much on, we talk, we talk about green, amber, red. Yeah. Um, red is on high alert, so you're constantly alert, but you're using a lot of energy to be alert of, of situations. And in the wild, you have to be quite alert all the time. Mm. Whereas in everyday life, people tend to be green. So they're on their, on their, on their phones, they're quite open to um, mm. danger and things. So it's always trying to be in that amber zone where yeah. you're ready to respond to things um, and you're ready to survive and, and all of those things. But actually, um, you're not tiring yourself out by being fully alert, <laughs> walking down the road, looking like a, a ninja. Yes, yeah, so you're not adrenalised. You're just kind yeah. of, um, you're just ready and, and just kind of observing things. What, what drew you to the wilderness as a person? Because I think a lot of us feel this, particularly when we work in offices and maybe at this time of year when it's, it's quite dark as well. We want to get outside, we want to be in the daylight and stuff. Was that something that you had as a, a child early on that sort of just drew you out there, whether it was sport or, or just, I guess, being outdoors? Yes, yeah, so I, I had two older brothers, so... One was five years older, the other one was ten years older. So, yeah, they dragged me outdoors most of the time, and <laughs> and, and we grew up in in Devon. So, I uh, had Dartmoor and at the sea, wow. kind of on my doorstep. So, had a lot of time in the outdoors, and, and it kind of naturally occurred from there. Yeah. Um, but I think what progressed it further was came to a point when I was about seventeen. My eldest brother passed away from mountain biking accident. Oh no! Uh, sorry so it was quite a serious. No, no, it was quite a serious accident, and. I was 17 at the time and then thought about what career I want next. Was that downhill biking, was it? No, he was doing um, kind of 
BMX stunts um, okay. on an area of the beach um, in Eastbourne where we where we lived originally. Wow. Um, so he broke his neck. It was his best friend broke his neck, and from that point forward, I um, kind of thought, well, I have, everything I do outdoors and everything I do, I'm seeing on his point of view as well. Not to put dampener on yeah. things, but no, no. But it did, but it's, it's interesting that it galvanised you to to seek adventure rather than be deterred by it. Because I know yeah. that you've and on your website you talk about perception of risk and encouraging kids to maybe even go caving. I know you, you do cave guides that that's actually less risky in a way than getting in a car. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know about the, the stats of risk and, and mm. in cars and, and caving, but I do know that I've been incredibly lucky with my job to be able to kind of facilitate people to go to areas that they would never normally do in their life. And, and very often that is taking them up mountains in which they wouldn't necessarily go normally. But, mm. but but on those adventures, having those kind of life, either life changing experiences, seeing things they wouldn't have done, realizing things about themselves, and it's the same whether they're children or whether they're adults, they they prove to themselves that they can do certain things. And the caving's are one classic where you go you, at school, <laughs> you don't necessarily need someone to make caving any more scarier. No, but I remember at school. Seems daunting, doesn't it, to go into, yeah. the, into the earth? People would take you caving and then say, "God, this is." Like, be careful with the rock, be careful with this. <laughs> so, well, actually, if you give people the information to make their own decision about it, tell them how uh, the safety aspect of it, and people often kind of come out the other side really empowered. Yeah. Um, it's the same with navigation. And, and I've seen um, teaching basic survival skills and navigation skills to people, and they realise, actually, they're a lot more capable of doing things. So they don't have to rely on their iPhone to just figure out yeah. which way is north, south, east, west. They can, three sticks is enough to show them um, just dial into the, the natural world around you a little bit more and be aware of, of what I guess our ancestors yeah. knew, knew too well. Did you, do you feel it almost that's a calling that is ingrained in you from our ancestral past of hunter-gathering or, or whatever it might be? Do you think that's still part of a lot of us that we feel that need to be outdoors? I think it, when you observe people and the transformation they have on a survival course, um, from not knowing much survival aspect and how to live with nature to starting to learn the little gems of how to navigate, how to find food and all of those things. It's really empowering to take off, not just to be in the outdoors, but to take back into their lives and say, well, actually, I can do this. I'm, I'm pretty self-sufficient in yeah. everything I do. Um, so figuring out which way is north from just looking at kind of trees and which way is south from looking at trees is, is quite an empowering skill. And it's something that um, we don't necessarily learn straight away anymore. Mm. But say great-great-great-grandparents probably did learn those things straight away. Yeah. Um, and how to navigate from the stars and things. Well, it's interesting even within that, yeah, so even within the, the, the realm of a few generations because what we've, in, in our lifetime as well, it's begun 24-7 convenience, hasn't it? Supermarkets open late, um, online shopping. It's almost like you don't ever have that feeling of, oops, there's no access to, to food. Maybe even this time of year is actually the only time, Christmas Day, if you're short of food, you think, oh, how do, how do I get food today? Yeah. It'll be the only time this week that maybe we get that recognition. But when you do have that, it's quite a startling awakening to almost the fact that we're, we're quite infantile in sense, aren't we? That we just rely on being being fed. Yeah, well, and the, the more we kind of rest on things like iPhones and all things to, to make it easy, the more that survival seems like magic. Mm. It's not there's a process, there's a natural way that's been evolved over thousands of years of how to live with nature. But if you teach someone straight off that's, that was never learn it, it's almost like magic. So yeah. showing people how to navigate using the stars, it's like, it's that kind of epiphany moment where they go, oh my God, that, that makes <laughs> sense, total sense. Um, but now you've got apps where you can look at the stars and it makes it simpler. You always got to think, 
what is it about technology? There's something about technology. It's, it's with SatNav, and I don't use my SatNav a lot, and I try and kind of, because I often go to places I know, but I almost try and kind of make up routes in my head, roughly knowing the UK is not that big, so I've driven around it a lot, so I kind of know roughly routes to go. But it almost, when you do, when you take a sat-nav and you follow a sat-nav, it kind of shuts off part of your brain. So then when you do have to think about things, if you're caught in traffic, it, it can actually um, make it even more hard, more difficult, isn't it? More, more terrifying, I think. Yeah, I mean, technology has been amazing to, to progress how, I mean, things like sat phones and all of those things mm. to allow expeditions to be safer and allow them to go that little bit further um, and have the information when you return. Um, but yeah, you, you do kind of, there's less of the, uh, I guess the effort of the journey and achievement you get yeah. instead of punching in a, a postcode which is quick easy <laughs> done it's fine I did it today to get to yours yeah. um, but then the process of finding uh, is just a little bit that mental aspect is a little bit yeah it doesn't necessarily teach anything but ease and swiftness so, so. As, as a kid were you, were you orienteering and stuff was that what you do go out or were you playing sport no, I know you I play thought, football don't you as well? I thought orienteering was nice uh, we, we call it orientee drinking because it's so dull because yeah. it was delivered in a way that um, our, our teachers weren't necessarily outdoor instructors yeah and it was delivered in a around the school field and very safe and things and all we wanted to do we did most of it ourselves mm. so we just went off into the woods mini adventures and things like that um, and, and luckily we did live in such a nice rural location and by mm-hmm. the coast and sea so I was extremely lucky did you go? Did that. you go surfing? Did you surf in the in the sea? Yeah, yeah. So spent a lot of time surfing. So we always used to I remember look out the window and wait for the wind to pick up, <laughs> and then go down to the surf. And I remember, I think it was that's probably one of the first times where I realised I like to be in storms and extremeness. Really. So the waves, I can remember the waves being super big and probably not at the time now. Yeah. But when I was younger, that these waves falling overhead and everywhere and. In the southwest of Devon, you don't really get, I mean, they're not in perspective that massive storm mm. waves, but you don't necessarily get clean waves. So, uh, what I enjoyed was the process of. So, south, yeah, so you're south coast, are you? So, it's less than yeah. the west coast you get. You get but in the extreme. windswell, it picked up a load. Mm. So, you would get aggressive storms coming in, but instead of, I, I always thought kind of, I need to combat them, I need to kind of defeat it mm. um, and conquer it. And that, and that I've slowly learned that. What you need to do is, is try and adapt to it. Use so, it, is that use the kind of power of the, the wave, don't you? Yeah. The pull. I mean, in the outdoors, you literally, you cannot change anything. You can't control <laughs> anything. You just have to be able to adapt to it and live with it. Yeah. Um, and and it's maybe the micro <coughs> microseconds make the biggest difference. So things like climbing and things when, when rocks are falling, maybe you be, the more experienced you are, um, and I've been lucky to have amazing mentors all the way through mm. my uh, my career so far. Um, the more experienced you are, the more you can see, get a sense of things before they happen, mm-hmm. uh, and that really reduces safety experience. That's about being tuned in, I suppose, to your environment as much as anything, and just yeah. getting a sense of patterns and, and rhythms. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the same with search and rescue and, and and things like that we do in a rural environment, and really seeing what's not natural in that environment compared to what is natural in that environment. Mm. And, and to a trained eye, that's quite easy. So like water being cut through through grass, people walking through, you kind of have those skills after just seeing and yeah. dealing with it. Yeah, John was talking about a lady who survived a crash, I think in the Andes and or in the, the Amazon jungle maybe, but how you follow water to 
to kind of come out on a footpath is a good way to get out because you follow the, the path of water it will eventually leave the jungle and kind of uh, probably go near a civilization because people tend to to gravitate to those areas so you're doing the, the outdoor stuff were you, were you playing sport obviously this is called sport and life it doesn't have to be that you're a sports player but you mentioned to me that you'd, you'd recently played five-a-side or done your Achilles in playing yeah. five-a-side yeah so I just got like, I, in 2016 I did a uh, ultra marathon out in the Atacama Desert wow uh, which is pretty pretty full is that on. Chile? yeah yeah part of the four deserts series um, so it was, I was fortunate enough to get on get on that ultra marathon and I came back um, fortunate was, enough what was, <laughs> what was the uh, what was the detail of that what was the it's, so, was it six marathons so there were six marathons over five days and then you had a day's rest while you wait for everyone to come in and then you you finished the last 10, 10k so that was like a glory race at the end of it <laughs> so we'd have the first four days and this is the Atacama Desert which is probably one of the driest deserts in the world and, and can reach temperatures of kind of 35 degrees in the day and, and uh, um, about minus five at night. So it's Whoa. very cold. You're self-sufficient, so you're running straight through um, mm. with all your gear um, and they refill water. Self-sufficient for six days with all your supplies in the backpack? Yeah, so you have to have your sleeping bag, backpack. It needs to be about seven to nine kilograms of weight. So and we food in there food, as well. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, the packets of expedition food. Yeah. Fill them up into doggy poo bags. Put a little, <laughs> put a little plaster on. Anything you can do to make that slightly... You, but you need a huge amount of calories to do six calories in... Uh, six uh, marathons in five days, don't you? Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of calories. Um, so I, t- I took about about 15,000 calories worth of expedition food. Yeah. Which is great. Um, but it was more kind of... It's, it's a very mental thing as well but uh, it's very, yeah it's really tough <laughs> were you running with alongside people or are you kind of yeah, on your own there's about 100 competitors <laughs> and, and and what what was really apparent was when I turned up to the Atacama for, for initial briefing um, from the medics is everyone was very like super athletes mm. and I was looking around and, and, and there was light crow yeah because you're quite a sort of muscular guy you're not, yeah, sort of, you're I'm not, not a lightweight kind of no uh, I'm the mountains climbing yeah. and, and, and I'm not shaped like a marathon runner um, but what I noticed at the very end when everyone was coming in is that the common denominator was everyone was bloody stubborn. The people <laughs> that finished that I've spoken to through, um, I mean, we started with seven in, in our, our tent and we finished with three, including myself at the very end. So the dropout rate was extremely high. Yeah. Um, who are probably serious people who've done lots of marathons elsewhere, the ones that have dropped out as well. Yeah. But the finish was like, there was people from different ages smattering like 50 50 uh, gender split and everyone was just very stubborn and yeah. persistent in it and you could tell by the way they were taught they they were very driven in, in life and, and often they've been through some hardship as well so yeah so that motivating factor um helped them as well it's, it's funny that that different that, that debate of nature nurture isn't it i think in in sport and in life it's like what attributes do we have is it is that what's important or is it our mindset our ability to learn because Last week on the podcast, I had a guy called Mark Hopkins who played American football in this country to a good level, but massive guy, six feet five, but he just seems bigger because he's, he's broader and he played at 20 stone, but he could run 40 yards in 4.9 seconds at the time with his shot puts up as well, really quick feet. He could bench press 100K off the bat 36 times. And it's like, there's pretty much no way that his physical dimension, I could replicate that. But, you, but, the, but this is, there is a genetic component to things, but I suppose what you're saying there is a lot of it is, is mindset in terms of success and achievement and survival. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, the mindset, the, the mindset of a, a survival, and everyone's got it, everyone's got it within them, it's just how much they expose themselves to it. Yeah. Um, and you can't, you can't prepare more 
than doing it most days and, and getting a little bit of hardship and a little, mm. bit, of, a little bit of struggle um, because that does progress you in, in your strength in the future. Um, and I think the best thing that you can give young people is, is resilience and the ability to be resilient yeah. within, Oops. Um, within life, the outdoors, uh, and I guess business when they grow up. Yeah. I mean, what did you um, feel like when you finished, the, when you went across the line there? It was one of the greatest feelings you've just had? Just literally, yeah, it absolutely exhausted. I mean, I lost a, just over a stone of weight in, in the seven days. Was that actual, um, was that fat stores or was that muscle? Don't, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, I wasn't, it wasn't I, just dehydration. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not, I mean, I wasn't overweight in any way, but I came back and my wife just saw, <laughs> saw a skeleton of, of what went out. So I don't, re- I really don't recommend that as a diet. Did she, not, did she go out with you or not? No, 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 no. So, um, cause it's quite a mission. You have to fly into, um, Rio, then to Santiago and then Santiago to, um, I think it's Calamar. Okay. Uh, I might have that completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then it's about a couple of hours to get over to middle of the desert in Atacama, which is a small little village called, um, San Pedro de Atacama. Yeah. And this is part of the four desert series. So there's another three that kind of, I've got my eye on, which really? is Antarctica. Um, and, and um, Namibia, and they do a racing the plat- racing the planet one. So, so Antarctica is that frozen tundra, is it? Or yeah, yeah. yeah. So they it's it's um, the difficulty with the Antarctica one is they run you constantly on the days that the weather's good. So because <laughs> they, they, they can't predict the weather. Yeah. Um, but no, the I mean the Atacama ones was very difficult because I don't particularly like heat anyway. Mm. Um, so it's, so getting those six marathons done the first four days is a marathon a day the last day is a double marathon um so you have to run kind of 87 so kilometers wow. across the desert so and you can choose to have a nap or not in the middle of it um i chose not not to really just stopped and had some some noodles or things and wow. but getting up at five in the morning or five thirty in the morning and eating thousand calories worth of porridge is quite difficult and yeah one morning i woke up it's and, a lot of porridge thousand yeah. calories i woke up one morning and uh I open up the porridge and put what I thought was in because it's quite dark and you're quite tired, and <laughs> especially having a couple of marathons in your legs. And I had spaghetti bolognese at five thirty in the morning, so I opened the wrong bag. So it was, it was grim. Yeah, yeah, it must be. Yeah, I suppose yeah. it's all it's all subjective and kind of uh, cultural. But yeah, it must be strange to have spaghetti bolognese. Then what? Yeah, what is it? Is it an itch inside? Do you think that you, that you have to scratch? Because I guess you've done that. You know how to survive in the wilderness. You don't need to to learn that resilience. Is it? Is it just pushing your boundaries? Is that is that the key? Yeah, just be feeling lucky every day to um, to have the opportunity to do these things yeah. and to go to these places and see these things. And um, and it's cliche, but you have only one life. Yeah. And I've certainly seen that with kind of what happened to my brother. Um, and you just need to be able to see all of these things with your own eyes and, and just feel how lucky you are. So it's a buzz and excitement of, of, of being in these places in nature, which are beautiful and, and often people would pay a ridiculous amount of money for to be able to see them just for a holiday or something. So I'm very yeah. fortunate in that and very fortunate to be able to take experiences and, and, and also teach that, um, places like Harbury college, um, teach outdoor adventure to their students mm. and, and, and take them climbing and, and things like that. I mean, it's a great course to start off their careers and, um, and get, get into the outdoors and things. It's amazing that those things, that's the guinea pig, sorry, it's uh, my wife. I said my wife's guinea pig. It's supposed to be my little girl's guinea pig, but it's my wife, really. Yeah. Don't call me a guinea pig. No, it's Bill. Bill over there is, uh, is a massive guinea pig. But my uh, wife tried to persuade me to, uh, to that my daughter wanted one, but I think it's more my wife because she loves guinea pigs growing up. Um, not quite the the wilderness. But it's um, it's interesting. The, the, I mean, I didn't even know about it. The, the passing of your brother, that, that things that happened in childhood, leave an indelible mark. One of my best friends died when I was 21 in a car accident. 
and I think a lot of us in, in any funeral as well, you have this galvanizing effect of seize life, carpe diem, all that, do those things. But it's interesting the time and being your brother, being such a close blood relative, it seemed to leave such a, a kind of motivational mark upon you. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it almost could have created a fear in you not to, not to do things, to, to kind of stay safe. Yeah, that's completely understandable. But what my brother did was he was very adventurous. So he joined the military and did all these things, climbing. He was scuba diving all the time. So he, he was living life kind of yeah. by, by the sword. Um, so, I mean... It's a point you do only live once, don't you? And you yeah. everyone's going to die. So it's, I know it sounds weird that people say, when I say that, and I try and remind myself, people think it's pessimistic, but actually it's, it's realistic and it can be quite motivational, can't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. And just, just if you can do it, why, don't, why, why, why wouldn't you do it? Mm. Um, but I think it, it does build resilience and, and going on these adventures and doing these things can build resilience, even if it's someone that's, say, never climbed before and they have a fear of heights just having that ability to go with with someone and, and then face those fears is, is, is brilliant. Yeah, because so, um, people could use hypnotherapy to get over vertigo, don't they? Or you think it can be done just by getting there and, and putting yourself in the situation? Well, I only, I only know from, say, say people going climbing. Yeah. If, they, if they're quite scared of heights, explaining about the ropes and, and, and getting the process done correctly, so not jumping jumping from kind of A to D mm. in the process of straight away saying, right, let's go climbing. I'm going to put you on an abseil and it's scary <laughs> as hell. Yeah. It's, not, it's not that kind of, you don't need to do it that way. As long as it, if it's done in a nice structure and explaining how safe the ropes are, the equipment, and then getting a feel of it on the ground, then allowing that person to almost discover it themselves, that's really super empowering. And that will, and that will make, them, make them feel so much more achievement than, Hey, I've just got over something super scary. I never want to do that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then hopefully they'll take that on. And I mean, climb indoor climbing and, and bouldering is is massive now. Mm. Um, when I was growing up, I think that was about five. Is that is that as fun though? Do you think for you? Is it? Is it's good training. Better outdoors. It's brilliant yeah. training. I yeah. Mean, I mean, bouldering itself as a as a activity was was created for training. For What's climbing. bouldering? Is when you have the huge rocks that you sort of climb so, around. So it sounds like it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, bouldering would be you don't need ropes. Mm. Um, you don't go that far off the ground unless you're. Um, an expert and you do certain, certain different types of bouldering yeah, it's got, it it's got to, to do freestyle climbing don't it without any ropes up big mountains yeah, and stuff yeah. which is just terrifying but bouldering tends to work the hardest bit of the climb so if you've got a climb that's say 10-20 metres then the hardest aspect of that climb you can practice on on the ground yeah. so you don't need to have all of the time constraints of climbing up then doing the move you actually practice the move on the ground and that's kind of what it was set for but it's become a, almost a sport kind of in its own right and bouldering centres are popping up around the, around the country and, and, it, and, and what I think great like fitness is, isn't it yeah it's fitness and it's not that enclosed it feels more natural type of fitness climbing yeah because um, I guess we would, have done, we would have done quite a lot of climbing as primates yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it just feels natural when it, do, it instead of kind of going into a, a gym where it's set exercise you've got to wait for it you can just move around and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't work for any bouldering centre or climbing. No. I just think if you haven't been there and you like keeping fit, then have a go at it. Yeah. So as long as it's with a, and if you are a bit nervous about the climbing with the ropes, which often is, I mean, bouldering centres are more are busier because more people find that accessible. Yeah. Whereas going on ropes is a bit more intimidating, which I, I get. Um, but all it needs is a good introduction, maybe a, a, an instructor to start you off, which most climbing centres have, and then and then you facilitate you becoming running it and then 
You get, I mean, people get ripped to a climbers. Don't people? You talk about the gym going and doing weights and things like that. But people, the, the musculature you develop in back, shoulders, and arms and stuff is pretty, pretty impressive. If if, if vanity is your your goal in in twenty twenty as well, to a to a certain extent, uh, to look good. I mean, it's interesting going back to, to your brother. I don't want to sort of labour the point, but do you feel that when you go on and achieve these things, that he's there with you? Because I know that Darren Barker, former middleweight world champion, a friend of mine, co commentator with him, his brother passed away. He, was, he says he was a more talented boxer than him. Um, when he was a he was a young man, and so he saw him when he won his world title. Do you feel that it's a presence with you that he kind of galvanizes you? Only, only really insofar as my the lenses that I see through yeah. is is I feel responsible to be able to see it for the, for because for for him as well. Yeah. So I feel like I'm carrying myself and my motivations, and also his motivations to be able to see and access these beautiful areas to be able to see it from. Um, it might sound quite strange, but I yeah. feel that's kind of... So you almost feel like you're wasting time if you if you sat around indoors, do, you're not, not doing too much? Uh, a, little, a little bit, but I also see when I am in those positions where it's it's beautiful and nature's there, yeah. I do feel like I'm actually seeing it for him as well um, and being able to access that. So I feel a responsibility to, to go and see these places while, while yeah. we can. Yeah. How important is it to you to just be outdoors? Because I feel this compulsion, right? It's at this time of year, it's interesting because in England, it doesn't get that bad weather in England, but everyone likes to be cosy and stay in. But almost even on Christmas Day, I like to get out for a walk or something. I feel, get cabin fever quite quite readily. Do you think everyone has that instinct? Because the research suggests that being outdoors, getting serotonin from daylight, just fresh yeah, air, yeah. Biophy- this theory of biophilia, that being around nature is, is intrinsically good for our health and things like that. There's a lot of evidence now that suggests that, that everyone's, Suited. Did you think people just aren't going back to that autopilot? I think people aren't just dialed into it a little bit. They're not aware of how good they could feel if they were outdoors more. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm not an expert in anything, but I, I uh, regarding the science behind it. But I do feel that when I've had a long time out in nature, sleeping under a tarp or something, I will start to kind of feel a lot more connected mm. to, to the world and and to the seasons and to the light. Um, I definitely know when or when winter's coming because. Um, the seasons, the moon as well has a, has a massive factor on sleep patterns. Yeah. The more connected you are, the more time I've spent outdoors, sleeping outdoors. I mean, Do you think naturally we should sleep more in the winter? Because it's interesting, we try in modern world to live the same life in the winter as the summer, don't we? Which is, you've got 18 hours of daylight in the summer versus <laughs> eight in the, in the winter. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole evolution, which is um, argument that, I mean, we've had all of this time evolving, sleeping kind of with the patterns of the moon, the stars and everything, mm. and the sun. And suddenly we find ourselves in a comfortable house with lighting all the time. And, and it's yeah. only been very recent that that's happened. And um, there's some plus points for spending a lot of time outdoors sleeping. And there's also some negatives, which I'm sure my wife will, will vouch for. That one you make time, her sleep outdoors. <laughs> no, no. She, <laughs> she loves it. But her dad, her dad's climbed Everest a couple of times and um, he's a super, he's, I mean, he's one of the mentors, oh, right. uh, really. So um, her dad's a really good climbing partner of mine um, and also father-in-law. Yeah. Um, so she's grown up from a, he was a Marine as well, so she's grown up with a very outdoor background, so she's very good at climbing naturally and all of those things, so she does that. But, but the reason I mentioned that um, my wife has got back from a, about three weeks staying under a tarp from a, from a trip oh, wow. out in, in, in the woods and and um, I got back and then I was trying to feel and obviously when you spend the night outside you get out for a pee and then you just <laughs> pee, pee by a rock anywhere yeah. and stuff like that so I remember being half in a doze and I hadn't had anything to drink this is a hand on heart yeah. I was finding find myself like, this is a very flat rock <laughs> and we walked around my bedroom flat rock and <laughs> held it started to 
pee against the wall. <laughs> my wife woke up, shouted at me, looked behind, and I can remember, and I just urinated against yeah. my bedroom wall. Which <laughs> so it's got some plus points, but I was at that point. I realised I was so tired from the expedition, and yeah. I was so just Sli- sleep being outside that. Yeah, yeah. yeah when a friend at uni did that when he was drunk, but I think he <laughs> just come pee in your bedroom and you'd be like sleepwalking, like mate, to get out of my I've room. I've heard, I've heard yeah. it, and often people say, yeah. oh, "Oh, this time I went out, I was drunk, and I peed in the wardrobe." It's like, well, I've got a story. Like, I didn't have anything to drink, and I peed yeah. in the bedroom wall. But yeah, so you can can you sleep well out in the wilderness, then? Do you on flat, you know, without a, that kind of mattress or that kind of stuff? You just you can you can get down and get your head down. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sleep's really important, so. Yeah, uh, if you're on expeditions and stuff, you tend to be, you tend to be so tired anyway mm. from trips and and things that you're doing right into the evening. So you tend to just get your head down. But it's small little admin things which you got your head torched by your side. Little things you learn from doing it lots of times, which prevent disasters happening in the night and all of those things. Yeah, and, um, and 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 that's. Have you have you slept places where there's there's um, predators around that could could sort of hurt you? Not particularly. We I mean. In, in in China, up in the mountains outside Beijing, there was um, there can be some wild cats and uh, and things that are quite um, quite quite like extreme. mountain lions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the instructors was just before we were about to get to bed. Actually, we were all around the campfire and and great storytelling. But and he was so enthusiastic about it, and obviously it's been translated. <laughs> um, and then and he kind of went yeah, and there's some of this about, and then he said, and the snow leopard came up face to face, or or a mountain lion came up face to face, and and I was in my tent, and then. Uh, night everyone right <laughs> hang on go back yeah, a sec yeah. what were you yeah. talking about um, and then they'd, and then I observed how he set his camp up I was like I'm going to set mine up <laughs> yeah yeah it's quite humbling though isn't it you talk about A the power of nature being out there and how insignificant we are and how you have to you said not fighting the waves of your surfing it's quite humbling I guess that experience because we do in our own lives get almost inflated sense of importance but when you're around proper animals that, that potentially can can kind of uh, just uh, end you in an instant it's, it's quite it's quite humbling isn't it yeah I mean the great outdoors is is classic because it's it's a real leveler so you can you can be as tough as you want in the gym yeah it doesn't it doesn't matter because when you go outdoors you're going to get cold you're going to be able, you need to just be able to take care of yourself mm. um, and everyone there's classic that there's there's no egos in the outdoors yeah as soon as you go outdoors you've got egos that's when accidents happen and so very efficient and highly highly effective teams tend to have much less egos if they're working and functioning highly effectively. Mm. Um, and that's happened all before. It's the classic storming, forming, norming and all that team development mm. is all those arguments and stuff have happened way before the preparation planning phase. Um, and when you go on expedition, you are a highly functioning team. So what I quite like to use um, ex-military personnel um, with all the work that I do. So similar to sport in a sense is teamwork, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, and it is, it's... We do. We work with teams, um, and what seems obvious to us from an adventure point of view, and from the other staff that are ex-military, um, what's obvious to them is highly effective teams um, are highly effective because they've been through some hardship. and And I guess with the outdoors, when it's difficult times mm. um, and when it's life threatening, it's a very more apparent how you should act, and it's more clear how you should act. So people tend to you get all the rubbish out of the way. People just go straight to the point mm. um, with the outdoors, which is, which, is, which is great. So if you take, for example, if you took someone climbing, um, you're not going to kind of have arguments about this. Not going to have a meeting about which no, way to no, go. No, exactly. Yeah. You, just, you, just, you, do, you do what needs to be done. 
um, and everyone works together for the common cause. So yeah, clarity of thought and clarity of, of action, clarity of speech, I guess, when you, when you are discussing things. But what, how does the best leadership structure work? Because John Hudson said that when he gets people out who are military people, he's training, that they try and encourage a debate because what happens if you have a sort of more authority figure who takes over? You're not always going to get the best solution to a problem, whereas you need sometimes a, a more democratic approach, particularly if everyone's relative novice is out there. Yes, certainly. If you have, I think, a clear vision um, and, a, and a target, but you often have quite quite noisy people naturally, mm. and they won't necessarily be the, the best leaders. Um, and when we, whenever we go outdoors, and it's, it's, it's a classic from telling people, you don't need to lead from the front. Mm-hmm. You can be anywhere within the group, uh, and you still have overarching leadership within it. Uh, and a leader in the, in the outdoors certainly doesn't need to be the one that's barking orders all the time. It, as long as there's a, as a shared vision and a plan, leading so to be quite leaders. calm. Yeah, yeah. When it when it when it is quite serious, I mean, um, calm and structured um, leadership. But I think the ability to have um, respect from everyone that is around you within the team yeah. is is very crucial. Um, it's right. it's what I was just thinking it crossed my mind about football managers because quite on, there's been Premier League managers sacked lately, and there's quite often this debate. A sort of in the journalism but in amongst fans as well about a manager if things aren't going well he's not animated enough and jumping around enough on the touchline whereas if someone's seen to be sort of sat down maybe making privately calm notes and thinking lucidly they're not passionate enough so it's quite interesting how that that can com- compare um for you when you work in the real world when you come back and you do teaching at Harbury, how do you find that because presumably you've got a lot of admin and things like that do you find that more stressful than than the challenges of, of being in the wilderness it's all the same. It's all it's all a challenge. Yeah. Um, and but like sitting down at a desk and trying to go through paperwork and things. yeah. I mean, luckily, um, I'm I'm put on quite a bit of practical, so I deliver the practical elements to it. But there is paperwork certainly even than that. But structuring how you're doing it and, and having a having a good time, getting the distractions out of the way, and turning phones off and these kind of things. Mm. Everything that um, would be a distraction and, and the problem is there's a lot of distractions now these days yeah um and and and, and kids are growing up with massive amounts of distraction um so being able to sit and focus and finding an area of safety where you can get on with work and by safety i mean quietness and um and get on with work is is quite difficult but once you're in the routine of that i think it's a good habit to get into mm. um and and we're not made to sit down for two hours and just burn out kind of computer work uh, having those mini breaks to yeah. uh, refresh yourself do you think people should get up and move around just kind of using it whether it's the water cooler or going for a stroll around the, the office whatever it might be yeah I mean the, I've seen quite a few people that have stand up desks mm. um, and, and it, if it works for some people then, then great uh, but certainly I think that um, investing in people because you, your team's are greatest assets we, we were yeah. saying in, in adventure and to ensure that the team are comfortable and that they are the health is being looked after within the within the business is is really important I think yeah um, and allowing people to go out and get fresh air um, is mass- is huge. It's it's interesting you mentioned sleep as well the importance of it because I think the, probably the last couple of years it's really started to to resonate culturally that perhaps we are really sleep deprived in in the West in particular because of these say the artificial light computers phones you can be scrolling through your phone at eleven o'clock and then maybe attempt to go to sleep but. I know the evidence from people like Matthew Walker, who's appeared on numerous podcasts and written books on sleep in University of 
and Berkeley is where he works in California and other other sleep experts the University of Exeter in this country does it but talking about how detrimental that can be even if you do manage to go to sleep that quality of sleep is not as good do you have any sort of sleep etiquette tips because I suppose like you say when you are out there in nature and recently a friend of ours hiked up with with people helping them up um is it Mount Pichu or what's the um Somewhere in South America, I can't remember, Pichu or something like that. Machu Picchu. Yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. She went up recently and she said about how just exhausted you were at the end of the day, it was all natural light, just fell asleep at nine o'clock and was sleeping like nine till five. Yeah. And she was going in that. If you say it wasn't, you didn't have to try to go to sleep, whereas it's different when you come home and you get back into work emails and all that kind of stuff. Do you have any etiquette tips for, for living in this world? Yeah, I mean, when you talked about mobile phones by your, by your bed and things, yeah. I mean, to me, it's not necessarily about the science behind it because, like I say, I'm not an expert in that. It's more about the fact that when you when you put your phone out and you turn your phone off, you're getting into good habits. Mm. But if you allow this very busy world to seep into your structure and how you set your standards and habits in your life, then I think that can be, for me, it can be quite detrimental yeah um and, and add unnecessary so it's stress. having a plan and a, a control of of that sort of frenzied which can be useful like we're recording the podcast on my mobile phone there are definite advantages to it but using it as and when you're almost controlling that yeah i mean certainly when uh, 11 o'clock at night scrolling through mm. on your phone is, isn't isn't the best thing as far as habit habits and, and structuring certain yeah. times yeah um and I, and I do i don't know it's quite endemic i think isn't it from what people have said that people are doing that yeah yeah and everyone's guilty of it because mm. everyone does want a bit of information but these phones are, are set and made to attract you your attention and we haven't really got the strategies yet i don't think to be able to combat that yeah or know where it stops and when and, and things and so it's it, like we're not switching properly off so we can't properly be on in the daytime almost it's what from your experience of work in nature of you you're on the day running an ultra marathon and you sleep and it's almost juxtaposition where i think modern life sometimes for people is almost constantly on a bit yeah, yeah, and you and you see everything that everyone else is getting on with, and you think, oh god, I'm missing out. <laughs> there's so many emotions that come and must go in, go into fear of missing media. out. Yeah, 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 yeah def- definitely. But yeah, I do think having a nice routine of going right, the phone goes out the room or something like that. What do you do for alarm clock? Because it's an interesting one because I work shifts, and sometimes last week I had to get up one day at two a.m. and then other times at three thirty, and I wouldn't naturally wake up at that time, so I needed an alarm. But right. recently, my wife has got a couple of one, one for her and one for me, and I take it with me now if I'm away. It's just an alarm clock. It has a light on it, but it's just purely a clock, and you can switch it. One side is on, and then it's off the other side. And you just hit up or down, and it goes off. And I try and keep my phone out of the room I'm sleeping in because what happens typically if you're working a shift where you're up early, you have to go to bed early, and then you start getting messages through. So you look at your phone to check what time it is because you get that kind of paranoia about not getting waking up in time. And then you've got a text message that might be a positive one or a negative one or neutral, but just gets your brain firing. So I think that for me, having an alarm clock separate to um, separate to my phone was important because otherwise the, the idea of phone does everything. Yeah. But then the problem is you've got everything right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly. And I mean, getting up in the summer is easier, easier for me. I mean, I think the majority of people wake up to the light, yeah. which is brilliant. I mean, the winter's the tough one where it doesn't get kind of, it stays, stays darker for longer. Yeah. So you do definitely need that alarm clock. And if you're in a set routine of sleep and you, you, you do get up at, say, six, seven o'clock in the morning every morning, you tend to wake up a couple of minutes before your alarm clock anyway. Yeah. Because you're just natural in that rhythm. But like you were saying, when you get up a little bit earlier, you do need something. So I think it's quite important to have a separate device or something. Yeah. <laughs> but um, maybe that adds more to it, uh, complexities. But it definitely is better um, to just 
have the phone away a little bit. It's funny because you mentioned Namibia and the extreme, you know, the four deserts, the potentially that these ultra marathons in, and <clears throat> people in England often complain about the winters, and it is dark in the winter. But <coughs> excuse me, I mean, it must you must appreciate how temperate it is here compared to uh, other countries when when you come back. Yeah, I mean, this this country is beautiful. You get all of the seasons. You get you really do see autumn in everything in summer. And yeah, we're just really lucky to have. <coughs> To have such an amazing um, pro- <coughs> process, and it's not just always, always sunny and things like yeah. that. Because you think, oh, it'd be great to live in the sun. I don't think we've even had a frost in. this year, to be fair, though, have we? In the winter, no, not... no. But it's good to just see the the seasons and, and, and <coughs> especially with things like agriculture and things. Yeah, yeah I saw a great season. I'm telling you, my daughter's not sleeping very well at the moment. She's sleeping in the day and then staying up late. We had to watch gardening programs, and we watched <laughs> one about Thailand with Monty Don, but saying how. In, tw- in a month they grow the same length as in England would in, in 12 months but how didn't have seasons dry season and rainy season it was pretty yeah. much the same temperature throughout how old your daughter? she's five they're not showing Bob the Builder anymore no, <laughs> no. she loves uh, she loves gardening she's um, I don't know what it is Monty Don is the uh, presenter she loves gardening time and all his documentaries and she finds cartoons more scary actually so she quite, quite likes that I think to yeah. placate her. I'm not sure she's a budding kind of horticulturalist but, <laughs> but it's quite interesting just the yeah the comparisons of the world and <coughs> we've had this bushfires and Australia recently haven't we and we've had the fires in California so you realise the UK actually as much as we lament the weather sometimes and the, the lots of rain I know there has been flooding people might be listening to this in the north of England who've had flooding in Yorkshire recently but generally we've not got a bad deal because it never gets too hot never gets mm. too cold yeah and nature's, nature's, nature will make you feel quite humble yeah um, in, in its power um, and and especially things like water so I've been up in the Lake District um, climbing with my father-in-law mm. and we popped up the mountains this is about four years ago and we popped up the mountains and came back down lots of rain had fallen and the whole of the area was flooded wow. um, and we had to get back down and we'd cross a river and a caravan was floating past <laughs> so <laughs> two people were following us and I think they thought we looked like we knew what we were doing but no no one really knows what they're doing at that no. point you just have a plan and you have experience and 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 uh dip into some of the things you've learned from other people um, about river crossings and things like that. And Probably don't, don't try Instagram it. Don't Instagram it at that time. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. Yeah. And that's it, yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. What, what do you, because you went for, you did PE, didn't you? Like me at university, I believe. Is that you studied PE? Yeah. I did sports science. So PE, yeah. uh, sports education, yeah. 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 So you went, and then you went into the, this aspect. What is it like teaching the students when they come to you? Are they people with natural aptitude for the outdoors or are they people who are, are maybe novices? A bit, a bit of both, really. Uh, there's a lot of people that have, say, when I when I do events and expeditions for adults, they tend to be um, got to a certain age and they think, well, I want to just mm. step out of my comfort zone a, a bit. And um, we feel them... we do feel comfortable, don't we? I think sometimes we get that yearning inside yeah. to, to yeah. push ourselves. And I think it's also about the the bonding that you have on those trips as well. Yeah. People want to feel like they're bonding as a team um, because we do miss that that. Um, cohesive bonding yeah um in, in in the world and everything quite individual especially working from home and those things we'll say loneliness at the moment is one of the big health to- conversations isn't it that people partly through technology the, the connection we have there yes it connects you with people maybe like-minded in your area but unless you actually go and physically meet them you're not getting the benefit of that interaction face to face yeah yeah no definitely and um and going on expeditions like i mean the best experiences that i've had with people the most memorable experiences that have been hard expeditions um, mm. and getting to know people so once you've once you've been through that you've, you've got a, a bit of a bond do you ever have complete nightmares come out there though you just think these people just unravel and 
you have to drag them around. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of people come on, say, some survival courses that I've done before in the past, and, and, and they'll turn up and, and they'll be flapping everywhere, mm. and they'll be wearing jeans, smart shoes, turn up and, and things like that. And <laughs> really? They, but often, I mean, they're on the survival courses where they've brought, say, their, their, their kids with them because their kids are really into yeah. it. But actually, fair play to them. They've stepped outside the comfort zone, gone, okay, let's do this, but they've not really understood. Yeah. They're going to be sleeping out overnight under a tarp or under, under, some, uh, under some wood, um, and the reality kind of hits home. But Is that what you do? So you don't have tents? It's tarpaulins and yeah, t- pieces tarpaulins of wood? Yeah, tarpaulins and bits of wood. And, and it just depends on the types of groups. Would you do that in the winter, even if it's wet and stuff? Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just how you structure. Um, if you've got more people, great, more heat. Um, the lower the better uh, for the for the structure. Um, so keeping it low to the ground because heat rises. Um, so if you've got a nice big airy. Mm. Um, so how long would it take to build a structure to to sleep in? You very very quickly really. If it's a twenty four hour, I've got to get in, yeah. survive and get out. Yeah. You just got to get protection. So your, your first priority would be kind of protecting yourself if you're on a mountain or if you're in the cold or, or, or even sun in the desert. Protection. Just uh, piece of the wood to shelter you and and then you sort of huddle it within that. Yeah, and just. Knowing the process of steps of staying alive is is quite important for people. So mm. protection is the first, and then you think about start thinking about rescue. How are you going to get out of those places? Um, and the next one would be water, and then food, because uh, water roughly three minutes without air. The rule of three is you can live roughly three minutes without air. You mm. can live roughly three um, days without food. Yeah. And then you can live roughly three weeks more or less without water. And then the last. Oh, sorry, one, is it three weeks without water or three. Days without water, is it? Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go again. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's, good. no yeah. it's fine. So it's three days without water, three weeks without food, three which you don't really think food. about, do they? Yeah, yeah. Food and, is and sort of panic food, if you have three hours. Especially meat is really rich in salt. Yeah. So it starts to absorb all the water anyway. If you eat uh, food and you're not hydrated. But then the three month one is you can live roughly three months without Wi Fi. So in the, <laughs> in, the common, in the common society, yeah. so yeah, you need to make sure you get back and rescued in time to get Wi-Fi. Do they filter people? Do you make them turn their phones off and stuff when they go on the survival trip? People tend to. Yeah. They tend to look at their phones for the first bit, take a few photos, and then the phone goes in the, and they want to get away from it. So a They lot feel of, better for that, do they? Yeah, especially yeah. adults. A lot of the, um, I mean, these guys that we take out on, say, the Pyrenees trips we do each year, they tend to be quite um, high achievers in, in what they've done, mm. so CEOs and stuff like that. People and, find it hard to switch off, potentially. Yeah, and they want a bit of a break, and they want to get back to nature. So yeah. their senses are kind of overwhelmed with the smells of the pine forest in the mountains and, and the colours that come out um, in the Pyrenees and, and just being in that environment. So the phones tend to go away, and they only come out for, for photos. Yeah. And, um, but of course, when they do come out, it's quite nice, because when you, get, when you summit some of, some of the peaks out there, people want to call home and show a video and things. And, yeah. they, and then they get a bit emotional because it's, they've worked super hard for it and they've missed their family. And so they're reminded how thankful they are for the things they have at home. And, and, mm. and it's just, it's really lovely to be able to facilitate that and watch it. Yeah. Um, because I don't know, I, I ever think of myself as leading them on the expedition. I want them to be empowered to sort of lead and navigate yeah. through and do everything like that. And so they feel like they've really done this. I'm just the person that, if it does go wrong, then at least we can navigate it out. It's just laughing about the thing that people showing up in, in workshops. We did, um, I did PEA level as well, and we had to do two, two events. For some reason, I, we ended up doing predominantly football and then orienteering hill walking. And on the assessment, 
ridiculous. I paid my friend as a, a joke because he'd do anything for a bit of money. I paid him five pounds to wear like skateboarding kits, so baggy jeans and hoodie top just to see what the assessor would say. And they're like, Chapman, what are you wearing? What are you doing? Um, but we didn't take it probably seriously enough. But it's, yeah, that, that effect is is profound. And at this time of year, it's interesting you've got a juxtaposition because you're a, na- a nature guy. Your wife works in retail. we a busy time for her. And it, obviously we live in this consumer society founded on buying things. Does it liberate you from from those pressures going into the world and having a different perspective because in the human existence in the West right now, there's a lot of pressure to buy bigger, better, more, isn't there? Yeah, and I think less, less is more with, yeah. with everything. Um, and people realise that when they come on trips and things. You, you, very, you need very little to be comfortable. Mm. And we are very lucky to have so much um, and live so comfortably. Um, but also... Having all of these things doesn't necessarily mean you're that much happier. Mm. Uh, um, you can read about tribes in, around the world and um, score happier than us, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and and often they have much less um, financially, and 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 th- things necessarily aren't great. I mean, Bruce Parry is an amazing um, adventurer, and, and and really kind of his philosophy on everything and what he's viewed um, in his career is is brilliant. He said one thing at one of his talks. He said. Um, he went to a tribe and they didn't own possessions so the children weren't given this is yours for Christmas mm. they were sharing everything um, and within that tribe they, they shared the objects yeah. um, so there was no possessiveness over anything so mm. the children didn't argue that this is mine this is yours that, that we kind of think it's natural to say that this is mine this is my territory yeah. but actually in, in that tribe it wasn't and it was only until um, they were put into housing um, because of there was essentially logging going on. Uh, they were actually put into housing and then they started yeah, having things, possessions, spaces yeah. where they have their things and yeah. where their things go. Um, so owning things um, necessarily kind of yeah. is, is kind of ingrained in us now. So Yeah, it becomes quite stressful. There's a pile of presents behind you that my wife's uh, put together. I did buy a few this year, but I'm not, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, nice of her. I thought it might be, yeah. She's <laughs> yeah, probably, no. probably thought of everyone else, but there's a, a raft of people. It's quite pressurised to to get all that it adds a little bit of stress to it obviously it was a christian festival to start with the the birth of uh, of baby jesus but almost beyond that it's, it was supposed to be a friendship and family thing but it does seem that it's it's got so intense about buying and, and possessing objects and a lot of kind of um thought goes into it, a lot of energy that maybe could have been better used maybe going for a walk and together in the countryside or something like that it's uh it's it's interesting isn't it what do you think do you think that we can re- reverse the trend a little bit get people outdoors more do you think that there's maybe a because we've dived into the mobile phone culture we've dived headfirst into this within the space of 20 years really haven't we it's relatively new do you think we could pull back a bit more and people start to appreciate even if it's just parks because one thing that john hudson said to me the uh, uk's chief military survival instructor said the actual evidence suggests you can get a benefit from going down the road to a park it doesn't have to be the wilderness per se yeah certainly you don't have to go and scale a mountain yeah just getting outside and 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 being around nature and trees and all of those things is, is, is gives you a bit of a reset. Um, but doing it correctly and doing it purposefully, I think, is important. So turning, mm. turning your phone off and really going and, and looking. Because um, we, we do look, but sometimes we don't see the detail and things. And uh, yeah. just, I mean, locally, we went to Westbrook Arboretum. Oh, nice. Westbrook Arboretum, it was, it, it's incredible. But mm. then you do focus on the types of trees and... Never have I ever gone out and gone, right, I'm going to specifically look at trees today. Because yeah, I forgot all of that. I think I knew them as a kid, maybe more some of the names of trees, but I've forgotten a lot of them. Yeah, yeah and they're incredibly resilient trees. And, and the fact that those trees have seen centuries of, 
of history is yeah. just is just I think trees are fascinating. Well, apparently, yeah. talk to each other, don't they? Now the, through the root system, do they? Apparently, there's the research saying that they can kind of instruct you. They help each other out, almost like a socialist thing. If one of them struggling with health, they try and it's almost like we're all better together, and they kind of I think warn of different uh, threats through their root system and things. Wow. Mess, it's, I guess it's untapped, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. Cause we always think about as a lot of you know people who are opposed to eating meat because of. Um, of the sense of them being sentient beings but then you wonder if the plants have got more intelligence perhaps than we realize as well yeah. it'd be scary wouldn't it but that comes they move towards the light even though you know it's interesting isn't it Harry? yeah 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 no it's incredible so what's your um what's your what's your favorite thing to do at christmas time do you get outdoors and do yeah it's, it's a, with family really yeah yeah so we um i know that the tend to depending on weather everyone will all the family will go out for a walk yeah. and things and, and then nothing too extreme. It tends to be kind of the time to um, just like everybody kind of um, relax and, 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 and either eat a bit too much and just <laughs> enjoy being around people. Yeah. Uh, really. Or whether they enjoy being around me, that's another no, <laughs> thing. But yeah. Um, but yeah. So Don't feel penned up time. or cabin fever. No, not, not at all. No. Uh, everyone, like uh, the family that kind of we spend Christmases with, 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 with my wife's family and, and they are very outdoors, and father-in-law's outdoors, so it's good. it kind of, um, not to say that the males, the males are all quite feral, but we are te- <laughs> we tend to be, yeah, um, so everyone has an understanding, but actually, we don't sit around for five hours and just watch TV, it's, mm. it's not about that, we certainly watch a film, but but it's more the interaction. Yeah, it's nice to have earned the food as well, as yeah. to have done something before you eat, or have been outdoors and kind yeah. of felt a bit of, uh, bit of hunger when you, when you come back. Should I ask you quickly about your work with Bear Grylls um, on the TV show? What was that like filming wilderness stuff? Yeah, that was good. I mean, it was a number of years ago. Mm. Um, he's a great guy, and they run um, outdoor survival courses. So that's how I first started doing it. Was, mm. was I was asked um, by a member of their team to come and help out with with the survival courses. So it was, it was a really good learning thing. I ran them for about three years and four years under under the Survival Academy, um, which operate kind of in the UK and around the world and, and it was a really good um, thing to each week to be able to take people on adventures. Could you find food around here say in Gloucestershire it, yeah. this time of year could you Wait get stuff? Those marks and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you went off into say Cleve Hill the, the hill that overlooks Cheltenham you could find food up there could you? Yeah there's, there's things around it's, it's knowing what to look for so like the wood sorrel um, and, and, and pine trees and the cambium inside the bark of the, the pine trees and, and really? how, you, how you use that I mean yeah um, pine trees are kind of nature's survival tools mm. i mean the roots can be used to make snares and um the cow the the the, uh, the the pine needles are very rich in vitamin c and really? vitamin c is one of the first things that gets depleted from your body if you're starving and you mm. you start to starve your body starts to eat away at itself and would you would you hunt would you hunt rabbits or something would you I suppose no um not necessarily not if you can get i mean nettles have got quite a high source of protein in really um Don't so, they sting? <laughs> yeah and you've got to you've got to balance the the risk reward and um but you'd eat a stinger nettle. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. You the can leaf. crush them up and then, yeah. but you can boil them. them. Oh, I've I wouldn't recommend doing that. But like, yeah, make yeah. nettle tea, and it's it's got yeah, um, um, good good source of vitamins and things because um, if you've seen the Revenant film, mm. the Hudson Bay loggers, the the, yeah. the ones that were trapped, fur, they would eat uh, a diet that's very rich just solely of rabbit. Yeah. And they would have. Um, catabolism so they actually the body was not eating itself because really? you need the nutrients so it's not just I mean it's probably a horrible story to tell a kid to try and get them to yeah. eat their greens but yeah. um, 
you know your body needs all the nutrients and, and the balanced meal yeah um, so the greens are, are super important um, especially in the wild because we're quite I think our we, we've evolved quite opportunistic so taking taking what we can and the majority of that is nuts berries um, and, and plants that are on the ground so I think meat was a was a bit of a luxury mm. if and when we can find it and, um, and if you're knowing how to trap and hunt them but if you if you do it unnecessarily it's it's pretty pointless mm. um, you have to cook it as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. oh good stuff and quick on Bear grills. people sort of criticised him a little bit saying that he was staying in hotels and stuff when he's making the shows presumably he never claimed not to be there did he I don't think was the... no I mean he, he does everything yeah. for a I mean I can, I've only got positive things to yeah. say about Bear and um, he's he's been um, he's done some really hardcore so he was the, one of the youngest well he was the youngest Brit at the time to climb Everest so wow. he's achieved so much in his career and he, he's, he's fantastic Don't I don't work much for him so much anymore um, kind of um, I, I was brought in mainly kind of to help out with survival school and sound like pretty busy at the moment yeah yeah pretty busy and um, but no he's a, a top guy and obviously um, pretty hardcore and everything that he does yeah. so yeah ma- massive respect for a bit like Jamie Oliver with healthy food he's pioneered getting outdoors hasn't he I think and trying to be more self-sufficient I think a lot of us feel quite babyish in, in terms of like impracticality of, of survival where can people find out more about getting on to, to one of your courses and things if, they, if they're if they intrigued to try and test themselves or develop themselves so it just happens organically so people that I've worked with or, or something mm. like that will tend to come on book on it um, so it's uh, ttadventureslimited.com Calm is the website. That's just Tim Trelaw, is it? That's the Well, it started interesting. Yeah. It started off with that. So I thought, I'm just myself, one man band. TT Adventures will be that. Yeah. But we've changed it now because the last two years I've brought on more people, and the whole ethos about the company was to 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 get the right people that would inspire people to go outdoors. So we're now calling it the Team Adventure. Luckily, it just fits. <laughs> so yeah. The team Adventure yeah. is 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 more way more than just not to be confused with the Isle of Man team. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's bringing in the the best people to deliver it, and and when I say the best people, people with credentials. So, so like like um, we've got Dave Pierce who's climbed Everest twice. Wow. Um and 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 done a hell of a lot more um, stuff. So in the eighties climbed El, El Cap. So he's he's got huge credentials. So he does mm. talks. Um, for us uh, as well and we've got a, a few others as well some ex-military guys and um, who are very kind of hands-on and got the experience that people kind of want they always want this to understand that element to it because it's quite interesting plus be taken into the wild with it yeah, yeah. so got bespoke people for dips like different things yeah Tim Trelaw been an absolute pleasure thank you yeah great thanks uh, very much enjoy cheers. Christmas you know, yeah yeah you too yeah. Enjoy, enjoy your walk um, yeah appreciate it mate thank you yeah no worries thanks cheers, cheers. So guys, um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you very much for listening throughout 2019. I'm Ed Draper, a sports broadcaster in the UK. You can find out more about me uh, at eddraper81 on Twitter, ed underscore draper81 on Instagram. And do let me know what you think of the podcast and what you'd like to hear more of and what interests you. Certainly, I'm trying to kind of uh, square the circle between sport and adventure and life and what we can learn uh, from sport and informing uh, our life and interesting people along the way like uh, Tim today. Cheers, guys. Rates on iTunes as well. If you get an opportunity, that would mean a lot. Cheers.